This is part two of my interview with Jim Cathcart. All right, Jim. So you were talking about how you received your first international engagement. How did it grow so much more after that first engagement? Well, the first time I was outside the U.S. speaking, you know, it was over in in, uh, Belgium and Scotland and all that. And while I was there, I realized that I needed to meet people and, and expand beyond what I was doing. So I made sure I got a testimonial from my client that I could share with other people. And that was something that was really important in the early part of my career. I didn't have any credentials. I couldn't prove I was this cool guy that I was claiming to be. And so I needed a written testimonial. Now, today you'd have them go to your page and like it or comment on it or give, you know, allow you a link uh, through their website or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you could even say, hey, could I get a video testimonial? You know, would you mind saying what you thought about the training? Those kind of things. That's what I do today. But but at that time, it had to be on paper and reproduced in a copier and then sent out through snail mail. Wow. <laughs> Slow process. But then I got a gig in Canada for because I had done a good job for Century 21 Real Estate in the USA, a guy named Peter Thomas had uh, started out Century 21 of Canada, and he was holding rallies nationwide, sales rallies, motivational rallies, and I got on that circuit. And so I spoke in several cities up there, and uh, all of those, you know, in every audience, you've got somebody that doesn't work there or that their spouse doesn't, Mm -hmm. but they also are a potential prospect. So you know, that's how it grew just slowly bit by bit. But I made sure that I didn't just do a speech and leave. I always had communication with them after. I always got whatever evidence I could of my success with them and got their permission to use that. So today I would flood my social media with it like I do. You can go to my Facebook page, Jim Cathcart, and you can see that I regularly posted the results of my speaking tours. Like in China, you know, I'll come back with 200 photographs and I'll take 30 or 40 of them and post them on a Facebook posting and tell about the trip. And then um, people can see, you know, oh, gosh, Jim speaks on big stages or, gee, Jim's just he does uh, individual coaching or small seminars or whatever. And that's that's how I would go about it today. So for these tours internationally, I know that someone called you. It seems like a lot of it has been referrals. Are you also reaching out to some of these organizations? And for your your tour? I'm not as proactive now as I used to be. Early in your career, you absolutely have to reach out. You've got to be proactive. You've got to be networking everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And you've got to make sure it doesn't feel like networking to the other people. Right. All you are is a business card pusher you're not going to get the business. You're just going to get resented by people. Yeah. uh, Who was that obnoxious guy or gal that was at our last meeting? You know, that's what they're going to say to each other. Um, So it's like a friend of mine who's a multimillionaire. They're really multi, multi, multimillionaire. I've known him since before he was wealthy and he doesn't have business cards. And I said, why? He said, because I want to control who's following up. So if someone says, do you have a card? I say, no, but if you'll give me one of yours, I'll drop you a note. Right. Now he's got them in there in his contact system. So not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm lazier than that. So I've got business cards. Yeah. Yeah. But look Uh, at my business card. Nice. It's in Chinese. So, so you have different cards in different languages. Yeah. But on the backside, I've got it in English. Okay. So the front side's Chinese, the back side's English. And people say, wow, wow, you must do a lot of work in China. And the answer is, yes, I do. I've been to 20 cities now, and uh, I'm really doing some serious uh, work over there. I've built a, a base that is virtually a second career. And, you know, I'm still speaking domestically and doing a lot of work here in the USA and writing all those books I was talking about and Mm -hmm. collaborating with other people and going to meetings and riding my motorcycle and playing rock and roll guitar in nightclubs. Nice. Yes. Do that semi-professionally. So I I get paid doing that, but not much. Um, And um, 
I'm restoring a, a Jaguar XK8 two-seater sports car. Nice. And I guess that's most of it. I run mountain trails three days a week. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and for the last 1,033 days, I haven't missed a day doing 100 push-ups a day. When did that start? In, uh, October 23rd, 2016. Okay. But that's counting? relatively recent. But that's amazing. Yeah. Yep. I, I, a friend of mine challenged me. And uh, so I did, I was supposed to do 22 push-ups for 22 days. It was like the ice bucket challenge a few years ago, mm -hmm. one of those kind of challenges. And um, this one had to do with returning veterans and, and suicide rates and things. So I said, I'll do the 22 for 22 days, but I'm not going to do it over 22 days. I'm going to cram it into fewer. So I did 22 and later that day I did 22 and later that day I did 22. And by the time the day was over, I'd done 80 something. And the next day I, th I thought, well, heck, if I can do 80 something in one day, I can do a hundred. So I did, you know, like 2020, 15, da, 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 and got a hundred in. And I thought, I wonder if I could do this for 10 consecutive days. Cause it's a thousand pushups. So I did it. And I said, well, heck, I can do it for a month. I can do it for th three months and change, making it 100 days. And then I thought, what if I went a whole year and then a second year? And then just August 7th of 2019, I hit 1,000 days. Wow, that's impressive. So and I hadn't missed a day, and not once did I want to do push-ups. Not once out of over 1,000 times. Wow. So I always did them despite not wanting to do them. That's good. That's probably something you could put in one of your uh, personal development speeches <laughs> about how to build a habit. Oh, the self-motivation handbook. Exactly. Right. <laughs> 336 ways to get yourself to do what needs to be done when you don't feel like it. That is awesome. Okay, so the self-motivation handbook, we'll have to link to that for everyone listening. Yeah. Like they cannot convince themselves <laughs> to work out. At all. <laughs> so you mentioned that you do a lot of work in China and that most of the speakers that we have on focus their efforts and their business dealings domestically. How, yeah. did you, how did you start doing work in China specifically and what's the base of what you do there? Is it speaking or is it different? It's both speaking and training and, and coaching. I'm doing um, the big keynote speeches, you know, the, the like motivational rallies, like a Tony Robbins event, those kind of big things. I'm doing those um, a lot, but I also do an, a four-day academy for a smaller group of people, like 20 or 30 people, and we do four of those a year, and one of them's in Shanghai downtown. One of them is in a neighboring city um, that focuses on a professional speaking topic for that one. The first one's on business success. Third one is on living a more abundant life. And we do that on a cruise ship on the Yangtze River. And I've done two of those so far. And then the fourth one we do in a, a resort community called Lijiang, which would be about where Austin, Texas is geographically if it were the US. And uh, Shanghai would be about where Atlanta is for comparison. And, and are, those, are those through your own company? So you put those on yourself and promoting well, your Through my agent. I've got an agent over there who found me. I didn't find him. He had been watching me for years. And he said, I've, I, I only represent a handful of, of top level speakers. And I need one because one of my speakers passed away. He said, um, it's going to be either Zig Ziglar or you. He wow. said, I, he said I, I talked to Zig and Zig's too old. Zig's passed away now. But mm -hmm. this was a few years ago. He said, Zig's too old to start a new base of business in China. He's not interested in, in doing that. And so you're the guy. And I thought, wow, you know, out of three or 4,000 members of the National Speakers Association that this guy had been exposed to, he chose me. That's quite an honor. Mm -hmm. The other speakers in his, his lineup are all big, huge, famous names. And um, so I started going there five years ago. And now I'm his number one talent and he books me like 80% more than he books any of those other big name people. And um, 
we've created a video series with with many probably more than a hundred video lessons. So we've got that as an online course. We've got the ongoing academy training. Then I'm doing some coaching. He lines that up, and and then I do the big motivational rallies. That is really awesome. So, and I'm learning Mandarin. Oh, good. Taking Chinese lessons every week. That's no easy feat. My cousin speaks Mandarin. Yeah. (laughs) So what um, what would you say to the speakers who are just getting started, who want to break into doing speaking engagements, both domestically and internationally? Um, Where would you suggest they start? Are there any sales techniques you recommend or what do you recommend they do to get off the ground? Always grow where you're planted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you live in in, um, Dogpatch, Arkansas, which is a name from a comic strip, Little Abner comic strip, that was given to a resort up in the mountains in in northern Arkansas um, because the comic strip was about a bunch of hillbillies. And so they decided, why don't we just create a resort and call it Dog Patch and do like the comic strip? So they did that. Well, anyway, it's a tiny little place back in the woods. Let's say that's where you live and you want a career as a professional speaker. Okay, you ain't going to get local engagements. You're going to have to go to St. Louis and Little Rock and Memphis and, and Tulsa and places like that. So figure out where you want to start. Who, what industry do you come from? What do you have worth paying to hear? You know, it's the, I want to be a speaker. I can, I can, I'm very excited. I, I, you know, book me. Why? And pay me. Why? Why would anybody want to pay you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to make sure first that you've got a message that's worth hearing and that you've delivered it so many times to so many groups that you've got it down to, to a really powerful focus and that people walk away from your talk saying, dang, that was good. I, I got to write that down. I got to share that with somebody else. I got to explore this more. So number one is your message. Number two is your market. That means find out who you can best serve. Maybe it's people with retail businesses. Maybe it's nurses. Maybe it's dog handlers. Maybe it's uh, scientists. I, I don't know. You know mm-hmm. Follow your field, your area of expertise. Or if you don't have one, but you have, uh, don't have a field, but you've got an area of expertise, maybe you know something that virtually everybody needs to know. Well, who needs it most? Mm -hmm. salesmen people that uh, build manufactured housing mobile homes and things like that people who um, are in the awards and recognition business selling plaques and engravings and things you know I'm I'm yanking these out of the air at random because there are that many businesses out there in the world right find the niche you can connect with the most effectively and serve the most valuably because that's where your first financial rewards will come from. So you got to have a message, you got to have a market, and you got to have mileage. Mileage means you have to have given so many presentations that you can just almost instinctively handle a room that's too cold or too hot. Right. A crowd that shows up late, a, uh, a person who hired you who got stuck and couldn't make it to the meeting and now you're on your own. Um, um, An audience that's alienated because the speaker before you ticked everybody off and insulted them. Um, A group that didn't realize they were having a guest speaker. And now here you are. I mean, I've had all these situations. A situation where somebody in the room has a medical emergency or dies. I've had friends who have had an audience member literally Pass away during the speech. Thank God I've been spared that one. Yeah. But I've had medical emergencies where I've had to stop and call for a doctor and, you know, get somebody handled. I've had rooms where the building caught on fire and we had to evacuate uh, multiple times. Um, so do you think that now with the market being that it is a little bit more saturated, it is still a viable industry for someone to enter into in 2019. Oh, it's better than it ever was, ever. I used to have to sell people five, on five different concepts until we got to the point of me suggesting they bring me in. 
uh, now it's just assumed you're going to train your people. Right. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's such a given. Yeah. We're going to train our people. Yeah. We, we like, uh, you know, that book and this book and that speaker and this guru and, and so forth. Well, great. And, and so it, it, concepts like emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. widely, widely accepted. Well, when I started, people would say that's absurd. There's no such thing as emotional intelligence. It's only intellectual and you only get it at college. And, uh, and you only get it through reading. <laughs> right. I mean, it was rare back in that, in that time to uh, give anybody credit for life experience when it came to their credentials. Everything was academic. Everything was clinical. And um, if you were a doctor or a lawyer, your, your credentials were guaranteed. Otherwise, who are you? You know, why should I listen to you? And um, so today it's easier than ever. Plus, there's the National Speakers Association. And for God's sakes, we got the Internet. Right. Anybody, anybody. And we can learn anything we need to know in a matter of hours. Right. Um, when he wanted to to become a magician, he went online and he started looking at close-up magic and taking lessons and uh, learning techniques. And then he carried a deck of cards with him every day for three years and um, and just practiced manipulation techniques. And now he blows people's minds with his ability. He's only 18. You know, so it's all there. Right. Like when I wanted to learn guitar, I had to get a printed songbook and a friend who knew guitar. Now I can go to YouTube and I can watch Eric Clapton or I can, you know, name your performer and I can learn from them. Okay. So you do think it's valuable, although more saturated. Oh, more saturated is not a problem. See, more saturated just means that they've got more options, but, but that they're going to buy one. Right. (laughs) So the better you become, at selling and the better you become at determining clients needs and exposing those needs to them in a way that they say, Oh yeah, you're right. We should do something. Um, the better you're going to generate engagements. And most people aren't getting good quality, uh, business education. Right. It's just not happening. So it's easier than ever, ever. Even if you're competing with me, you know, and I've been at it long enough to be pretty good at it. Okay. Well, that's definitely good to know. One of the things that, because I do, I have a a workshop for other speakers. I'm also an attorney. So I Mm -hmm. use kind of my educational background in some instances to help with getting corporate clients when I do like employment discrimination trainings and things like that. But for individuals that don't have the academic expertise, but may have you know, they may be really good at sales and they go into a corporation and they want to train people on sales. There are some sales trainers that I've seen that their results or their testimonials are like, hey, maybe it's maybe it's you. Jim came and trained our salespeople and now sales are up 30%. But if you come yeah. in a one-time speaking engagement, how do you get those types of specific measurable reviews when you're doing it one time? When I was doing it one time, well, first off, if you're doing it one time, the only measurable review you can get is is a smile report right. from the audience, right? right? So if you're following through and you've you've left them some sales tools, let's say you've you've produced some kind of a uh, like a laminated card with tips and techniques on it, or you've you've got a workbook, uh, you know, a spiral workbook with with a bunch of sheets in it for mm-hmm. people to do their homework. Or um, maybe you got a box of learning tools, something like that, or or even something as simple as this, which is a, a group of flashcards with inspiring ideas on it. And are these you know, all your products? No, some of them aren't. Uh, many of them are, but I, I've got products like these galore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Them, you know, for years and years. Also, you can create a series of videos very easily just doing what you and I are doing right now. Right. Put those into a package and sell a subscription to that for someone to to come on your website and and see it and uh, pay a small fee for viewing. And at the end of that, you've got a measure if it's a learning management system. uh, You've got a measure of who took it and, and how many of the sections they completed 
and such. Or a company can say, yeah, we'd like that. What does it cost us to put it in our own system? Mm-hmm. Come up with a fee for that. And you have a time timer on it so that it's only good for like one year. It's only good for six months or it's on, whatever. Mm-hmm. So things that are permanent come back to haunt you. And uh, Makes they sense. get complicated and sent on to cousin so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden your material is being used for free without your permission. Right. Uh, so there's lots of things like that you need to learn to deal with. But what I started with was just worksheets. And then the worksheets became part of a workbook because I put them in a spiral bound thing. Mm-hmm. Then I had it perfect bound so that it felt like a book, but it was a paperback eight and a half by 11 size book. And then um, before long, I was able to, to get a publisher to, to publish one of my books. That was Apprentice Hall. And, um, and it just grew from there. So today I've got, Prentice Hall, McGraw Hill, Simon and Schuster, uh, St. Martin's Press, uh, Macmillan, India. Um, you know, all kinds of the top publishers in the world have my works, and so that helps, and it gives me a, a tool or a resource to go most any direction. What I'm most widely known for is this concept: relationship selling which means treating relationships as assets. So it's not just nice people selling. It's being systematic and intelligent about every connection and knowing how to take it from mere acquaintance to life partner level. You know, the stages along the way, what can you provide value to make them want more and more from you? Because it's not who you know that counts or what you know that counts or who they know that counts or who knows you. It's who's glad they know you. And that's the big key. If you make it your goal to make every contact glad they know you by providing value to them, that what they consider valuable, not what you consider valuable, that's important. Not what you consider valuable. What they consider valuable and worth paying for. If you provide that, then you end up with a you know, a whole host of people who are your champions and your ongoing clients. Remember Peter Kuteman from Belgium? Yes. I told the story. Mm-hmm. Michael Redwine worked for Peter and Peter came to California. Well, he hired me. That was back in 1983 or four, somewhere in there. He hired me again around 1987. He hired me again in the 1990s. He didn't hire me for almost a decade and then a few years ago, he said, hey, I'm coming to the U.S. Uh, I wonder if you would be interested in training some of my engineers in France in techniques for dealing with English-speaking clients. And I said, well, sure. He said, okay. He said, I'll fly you to Florida first class, and then you get on my private jet, and the two of us will fly to Toulouse, France, where you'll do the training. Oh, if I must. Okay. <laughs> so I did. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And um, he even cooked me a meal on board. You know, we oh, that's nice. Him and me in the back. And a Citation 10 jet. Wow. <laughs> over the Nova places Scotia. speaking can take you. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've had even better gigs than that. Um, so, you know, it could be, it can turn into something really substantial if you really keep those relationships alive. And Joe Willard, who was the insurance agent, general agent, that hired me to come into his agency back in the 70s, well, he became not only my mentor, but my very, very dear friend. And I worked with him for six years and ended up hired by 36 different mass mutual agencies and then the home office of mass mutual. And that led to the entire insurance industry. And so I I permeated that industry, not only domestically, but outside the country. And um, um, two years ago, I called Joe and I said, hey, it's payback time. He said, what? I said, you've done so much for me over the years. I want to fly you first class to China as my guest 
for 12 days and we're going to fly around China and stay in five room suites. And I'm going to give speeches to thousands of people. And if you're willing, I'll bring you up on stage and interview you. He said, done. And so (laughs) I sent him tickets and paid for him and took him along on the trip. Like I would take my wife along. And we had one of the best times of our life. Wow. That is awesome. 40 years after he hired me. Mm. That is, that is amazing. So I know like there are so many newer speakers that are listening to this right now and they're just like, oh my gosh, how could I ever have a career that fabulous? What do you think is one habit that you have, whether it be a daily habit or anything, maybe a weekly, monthly, just a habit that you have that has helped you to stay successful in this industry, which is competitive over the long haul? Yeah. I always kind of over prepare. Uh, like if I'm going to do a, uh, a, let's say a sales call and, and it's a video, a Zoom call, uh, client says, hey, we're interested in talking with you about speaking for the consolidated uh, lawn grass company of Eastern Mediterranean. You know, I'm making all that up. obviously. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, great. Do you have a website? Yes, we do. You know, and so i I've completed that. Let's say that's an email exchange. First thing I do is go to their website and I read every page, not most of it, every page, mm-hmm. even the pages that are documentation that has nothing to do with me. And I look at the photos and the bios and I read people's bios and I find out Ashley went to East Ohio University and graduated with a degree in agronomy. Well, cool. And she's got four kids and she throws a javelin. Okay. Not something I'm necessarily going to need to know, but if I know it, I'm better off than if I don't know it. Mm -hmm. I read all these things and I read about their products and some of it's confusing and some of it's legal, legalese, you know, and it has nothing to do with, with people shopping the website, but I've got an understanding of their industry now that, takes me light years ahead of just being a speaker trying to sell them my topic. Right. So when I call them back or they call me, I say, you know, one of the things that impressed me about your website was blank. And I noticed that blank and blank and blank. And they go, and they look at each other like, gee, this guy did his homework. Mm -hmm. So that immediately gives me an edge over any other speaker that they're talking to. And they say, well, tell me about your speech. And I said, well, tell me about your listen. And they say, what? And I say, I don't have a speech. What I have is I have an area of expertise and I love to help people with it. And there are lots of directions we could go. But what I want to know is what what do your people need to hear and what do you want them to hear? Mm-hmm. And they go, oh. Say, so, okay, well, let's talk about this meeting itself. Is this a national convention, a regional thing, or a training meeting, or what? And I start drilling down to find out what's the assignment really. Right. And then I ask the why question as often as I can. Why is that important? Where does that fit in the overall mix of what you guys do? And for those listening, I want to point out, this is all before you get to talking about what you do and what you offer to them. Absolutely. Oh, and, and bravo to you for bringing that up. Yep. I tell people that, that that I tell people to do that, and it's it's important that they understand that you know so much more about them. That way, you can really make sure what your offer is is something that they need and that they'll value. Yeah, you want to be prescribing and diagnosing, right. but not in that order. You want to diagnose first and right. then prescribe. So if you if your tendency when when asked about your speaking is to talk about your speaking, shame on you. Yeah. Stop. You know, just quit that and start asking about them and ask and then tell them how what you do or have or know relates to what they need or want uh, or didn't realize they need or want. You know, you might be prescribing something. You say, you know, based on what you told me, Ashley, um, I don't think X is what we ought to be talking about. And here's why. So let's talk about X plus and look at that instead. 
And some sometimes they'll call and they'll say, we're like, I've had this happen. Jim, do, do you teach listening? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I wrote a book on it and, and uh, I've done a great deal of work in the field of effective listening. Good. Can you teach our people to listen? Yes, I can, but it won't make them better listeners. Right. It won't make them better listeners. No, it'll make them know how to be a better listener, but it won't make them a better listener. If you want to make somebody a better listener, give them a reason to listen. So you say to someone, if you don't do this, you're going to die. They Mm -hmm. tend to listen. Right. Right. If if uh, whether they know how or not, they tend to listen. So people can get the basics out of the way real fast if they've got a desperate need to to hear what's being said. Um, Bright red light is flashing and there's an announcement over the loudspeaker and you can't hear it. You're going to tell your friends to shut up. You're going to put down the things you've been looking at and you're going to listen carefully to the next announcement. Yeah. Because you want to stay alive. Right. Want to avoid pain. Okay. So how do you make people better listeners? Item one, find out why are they not listening now? Maybe you, maybe you, the employer or you, the teacher or you, the whatever are just not connecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then again, it may be them. Maybe they've got a lousy attitude toward business or themselves or their coworkers or their job. You know, it could be any number of things. And I also ask people, is this a concern you have throughout your organization or just with one or two key individuals? And sometimes they say, you know what? George in accounting is the problem. <laughs> we just thought if we had a listening seminar, that would be, I should, let me suggest something. <laughs> Let's do a dialogue with a small group of people in a webinar on the subject of effective listening and the dangers of not listening and make sure George is included in that. And then after that webinar, which won't cost you that much, but will give you a lot of value. You go to George and say, hey, based on what that guy was saying, we need to talk. And if you don't feel capable of having that chat with George, then have me or somebody else intervene and say, George, got a minute? And address the problem directly because that's the only way George is going to get better at being a team player and listening. Mm-hmm. So that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the other thing that I'm hearing you say is that you have a lot of different ways for clients to engage with the material that you know. Oh yeah. So there's webinars, there's live trainings, there's keynotes, there's books. Yep. Um, and so is that something that you developed over time? And for people who are in the first five years, let's say, of their speaking career, when do you suggest they start having these the various ways that clients can engage with them? Start immediately, but do like I did. I started with none of my own, and I was selling the motivational materials from Earl Nightingale, who was famous at the time. Mm -hmm. And I've got a colleague who I'm coaching now, and she is licensed by the Zig Ziglar Corporation to teach their courses. And so that's that's her product mix. I've got others who offer my courses. And you know, it's just whoever you identify with and, and um, want to represent or, or can represent with integrity, you know, right. peace at peace in your own mind that this is what they're doing next because you're not turning that learner over to them. They're still coming back to you as the, as the provider and the facilitator of that learning process. And uh, just hook up with folks, become affiliates of the people you admire, and then offer their materials as part of your follow-through package. And that way you're buying at wholesale, selling at retail, you're still able to make money. And as you do this, whenever you're leading a, a course of any type, including a speech, have a simple handout, just a fill in the blanks handout or something with maybe an article you've written stapled to the back of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But start, start simple and easy and then grow from there. I really like that. And I like the idea that speakers can start maybe licensing other people's products or systems that they identify with. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. That and makes podcasts, a lot of sense. You know, if subscriptions like to a podcast, if you've got your own great, but don't, don't make your own just to have something. Right. Have your act together first. 
right. then make sure it's going to really be valuable. And if not, then find somebody else and offer theirs. How many clients in today's day and age have you experienced them being more interested in live or webinar trainings? Um, I'm not sure how to answer that best, but uh, I can answer the question behind the question. Okay. That is, what's the best medium uh, for the marketplace? Mm-hmm. And the answer is the one that they'll use. Um, what you have to do is explore with each client whether they are a culture that has live meetings and maybe they're multiple meetings all over the country or maybe they're just regular monthly meetings or weekly meetings. It depends. You know, I've, I've spoken at weekly gatherings of like a real estate agency in Woodland Hills or something like that. Uh, you know, that's an easy thing, especially when you're starting out. And I've been the keynote speaker at the the, the global big event for the industry, like mm-hmm. roundtable in financial services and insurance. I've been the keynote speaker for that. I've, I, I, I was the keynote speaker for Harley Davidson Corporation's 100-year dealer convention. Oh, that's and cool. My sales interview was a motorcycle ride. The guy called me and said, I want to come hear you speak. I said, no, you don't. You know I can speak well. You want to know if I get it who Harley is. He said, well, that's true. I said, well, put a motorcycle under me and let's ride. He said, can you be in Denver on Thursday with a helmet if I buy the ticket? I said, yeah. And so I flew to Denver and we rode the Rockies for three days on Harleys. At the end of it, I said, okay, you got the job. (laughs) That's cool. This is a very, very cool industry. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Sometimes webinars are the best thing. Other times it's, it's coaching calls, you know, without the video, just talking to someone. That is Um, awesome. So this has been an amazing interview. I've learned so much and just gleaned so much from your years of experience. One thing we did not touch on that I would be remiss if I didn't touch on would be having a team. You said that you hired someone um, relatively early after you were in the six figure. Yeah. Um, do you currently Actually, have- before I hit six before, before you hit I hit six figures, I was still still making, I don't know, 60, 70,000. Uh, and I hired a secretary and that was fine. Uh, then I moved to California a couple of years later and formed the partnership with with Dr. Alessandra. And we hired well, he had a secretary and I hired a secretary. So we had two employees. And then we hired someone to help as sort of a gopher, you know, to do all the, the menial tasks. Mm-hmm. We hired someone who could be on the phone every day calling clients and, and potential clients and uh, asking, when's your next meeting? Do you hire speakers? That kind of thing. Right. Now, a lot of that can be done online. Um, and um, then we hired two or three others. You know, we had people on a project basis. We had at one time 10 employees full and part-time, and that was the most I ever had of my own employees. I've mm-hmm. managed others, but not, not that many that I personally had hired. And uh, we did that for a while and then split back to separate businesses instead of being business partners. And some of our staff went with him and some with me. And then I was, I had like, three staff members for a few years or several years. And then I moved from La Jolla, San Diego to Thousand Oaks, where I live today in Ventura County. And I decided to outsource everything to a woman who used to work for me as a gopher She when she was a college student, but mm-hmm. she had gotten her degree, came back to Tony and me, worked her way up through the ranks. When we split apart, she stayed with Tony and became his director of his executive director of his business, ran everything and managed his staff. And so when I moved from La Jolla to Thousand Oaks, Tony and I were talking and he said, why don't you let Holly manage your bookings? Mm-hmm. And I said, then I would, I would indirectly report to you. He said, well, that's a good point. He said, why don't both of us set up Holly in her own business and become her first clients? And we did. Mm. And she built a company known as Speaker's Office Incorporated and went on to become the national president of the International Association of Speakers Bureaus. 
Wow. So, yeah, big deal. And, yeah, that's a big deal. She manages uh, about, I don't know, like 15 or 18 people, and they are big names, you know, and, and uh, famous famous uh, speakers. And I'm, I'm doing all my own bookings now. But for the first several years I was up here, I still ran all my business through Holly. Wow, that is really cool. Okay, yeah. so it sounds like an assistant was the first hire and then the second was someone or the first two hires and the second or the third hire was someone who could get on the phone and get some of those nuanced details because that is that is tedious work. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and even now, everything is online. So you do, if you're in the high school market or even in the collegiate market, you you don't know the dates without talking to someone. And if you join the National Speakers Association, there are other speakers that focus on those markets. Mm-hmm. So you get to talk with them. Who do you know and how does it work and what's the best practice and so forth? And and you find that where you were getting a couple of little regional colleges, now you're getting big universities bringing you in for huge events. Or where you were doing something and it was only generating a speaking fee, they've suggested some ways to build in follow-up that will make you even more money than your speaking fee. Yeah. And so there's lots and lots and lots of opportunities like that. But here's a big deal. More than 80% of the newer speakers, they say, you know, I, I don't want to have to make my own sales calls. I just need a speaker's bureau because I've already, I'm a good speaker. I just need somebody to sell me. Ain't happening. No. <laughs> it's not happening. If you can't, Create a successful career on your own without a speaker's bureau or a speaker's agent in the first few years, then you can't sustain one after you get them. Right. First off, they don't want you if you're not able to generate business without them. Right. The speaker's bureaus will say, look, we've got tons of great speakers. We don't need another great speaker. But if you can generate bookings and run them through us, we will more than earn our, our commission on the ones that you refer to us. And we'll also give you bookings that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Right. Speakers bureaus do not want to even talk to you if uh, if they don't, you know, they don't want to talk to you if you're not already generating business. Yep. I, I 100% agree. And then also the number one question that I get in talking to speakers who are interested in getting into the professional speaking industry is where do I find engagements? And I don't think that's the real question because you can find engagements anywhere. The real thing is, can you have the conversation to move them from this person I don't know to a client of yours? Because if yeah. you can't do that, then it really doesn't matter. But the the goriness of sales, which some people see it as gory, but it's what I did before I was a lawyer inside sales. Um, I, I just think you have to know how to do it. It's like relationship building, and it's not that big of a deal. It's the way everything gets done in America and all That's over right. the world. Well, it's but, like an old book that uh, was written back in the 60s. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. Yeah. And the same's true for your career. So you need to be the one making those sales happen. Yes. And you can't train someone else if you don't know how to do it. If you aren't able to anticipate needs, if you don't have a to follow, you just can't, yeah. you can't, I mean, no. what are you going to tell them to do? They don't know. <laughs> no, no. They say, well, so-and-so is a good salesperson and they say for a fee of only X, they'll sell me too. That's also a money pit. You know, that's, that's just, that's not happening. You've right. got to get comfortable being the person who talks to people you don't know and help uncover the reasons why they would want to do business with you. People say, oh, I don't like making cold calls. Well, then don't. It doesn't have to be cold. It doesn't. New calls on, on strangers? Yeah, you got to do that. But they don't have to be cold. Right. Well, I'm not a good closer. Well, then don't close anything. Just confirm it. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. And it doesn't have to be cold. You can, I mean, you can do the research on the front end to identify who they are and if they have a need and you're just giving them an opportunity to work with you. And if you really are an expert, then it's more for them than for you. They, you should be working with people who actually need what you have to offer and your perspective. Yeah. And so selling think, is not right. telling. Right. Selling is asking and recommending. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
And so really you should be a consultant from the beginning because I like that when you explained how your process worked, you were really advising them on not what yep. they were saying, but what they were, the, I guess the underlying question or the underlying need, you know, making sure that you were, you were interpreting what they really need that they may have been even afraid to say. Yeah. Like if they say, can you teach my people to sell more? Sure. Um, which part of selling do they need emphasis on? What do you mean? <laughs> Are they going after the wrong markets and therefore everything they do is twice as hard as it should be? Yeah. Or they, so that would be a marketing and targeting and, and, and that kind of a, uh, a training session. Or is it the way they're connecting with people generates a low level of trust because it's all talking and not listening enough and not sincerity? Um, it, in that case, it would be a different kind of a seminar. It, are they not uh, determining people's needs accurately so that what they prescribe is spot on with what the person wants? Uh, it, in that case, it's an analysis and, and uh, prescription kind of a seminar. Is the way they're presenting not working? Then it's presentation skills. Is it mm -hmm. uh, they're not asking for the order? Why not? Because they're afraid? Because the clients are are not giving them the feedback that says, I'm with you, uh, you know, then we train them in that. Is it, are they losing business because they're not following through it? There's so many things, you know, it's self-management. They're not managing their time well and spending enough time in actual sales contact. They're sending out emails and letters, hoping that'll work. You know, ooh, ooh, don't want to talk to somebody. Just, <laughs> just see if they buy. Yeah. <laughs> so it, sales training is not, a thing right like education that's a thing but it, within it are 800 gazillion subcategories each of which has its own need that's really good that's really good and do you recommend that every speaker have a book i recommend that every speaker have a product okay a learning tool that people can get excited about and uh, at first, it's going to be something really fundamental and not particularly impressive. And then it'll get more impressive as you grow and refine it and, and the audience tells you what they like. So don't don't design what you like. Design what they like. OK. OK. That's really good. That's really good. So what is your what's the best advice you've ever gotten in your career? And what's one piece of advice you would give the speakers that are listening right now? Number one, best advice I ever got in my career is become the person who would have the results you want, and then the results are your natural byproduct. Mm. So cultivate in you the qualities of the kind of person that would have the career you're hoping for. Wow. And the career becomes your automatic byproduct, but you're still that person. Whereas just focusing on the thing that you're going after might get you the thing but you might not be able to sustain that because you haven't cultivated that habit pattern or that way of thinking or those new skills or, you know, whatever. So that would, that would be the main thing. And uh, if they want more on me, just go to my last name, Cathcart.com mm -hmm. and search me on any of the social media. Um, and, and Cathcart.com is my website. But they're, you know, they're videos, free videos people can watch and, and uh, all kinds of tools like that. Um, and your books. Great one. Pardon? And your books. Oh, yeah. They're all there. Yep. And I'll definitely link to all of this, you guys. So you can just I click underneath the podcast and you'll be able to find his website where his books are, books are located and some of those videos that he talked about are located as well. Well, this was amazing. I learned so much. I'm sure everyone listening is going to learn so much. You are by far the most experienced speaker we've had on the podcast thus far. A lot of our speakers, all of them are, you know, six or seven figure speakers doing really well. Love yeah. that. Um, I focus in the college market and I do um, corporate training, but it's more so my signature speech is the currency of confidence. So I'll be doing some oh, work. Good. good. I like that. Yeah. And so since I did jury trials and had to convince people in middle Wisconsin to let out a prisoner for a civil rights case, all the way from representing yeah. insurance companies, I do a lot of work in the confidence area because that's critical when you're, okay. whether you're a jury I, trial lawyer or a speaker. You can build a brilliant career with nothing more than that title. The currency of confidence. That's good to I'm know. I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. That's one of those, like the psychology of winning for Dennis Waitley years ago. It's that strong of a title and concept 
that you could build an entire career on that and and do really, really well. So don't let that go. I will not let that go. And that is definitely something that I'm getting trademarked for sure, because I do trademark law as well. Um, But yeah, so that was my TEDx talk. So like you, I did the TEDx talk. Um, And so that that really, that has caused the insurance companies, because I focused in the college market, but that's caused a lot of the insurance companies and banks to come to me and ask me to do their trainings for their organizations because of the title and the topic and what we cover in that um, mindset, beliefs, and actions of competent people and like how to get your MBA in confidence, essentially. Good. But I'm glad that you said that because now that it's coming from you, it's, it's serious now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you have an MBA in confidence, make the M, the B, and the A have specific meaning to the content of your message. They do. The M is mindset, yeah. the B is belief, and the A is action. So that's kind of the framework of Good. talk. So it's mindset, beliefs, and actions? Yep. I love that. Yeah, it's really easy for people to repeat because in our review videos, what we hear is people talking about the mindset, beliefs, and actions and how tangible it was. And that was one of the things that was really important to me in crafting a signature talk was that when people heard it, they could remember it enough to implement it. (laughs) And so The reason I know this is, is solid is I could, one hour from now, give a speech on the currency of confidence using that model, mindset, mm-hmm. beliefs, and actions, and feel totally comfortable doing it. I'm right. not going to do that, so don't worry right. about it. But, but I could. It's that substantial that it's, it's, you know, it's not a stretch for people to get it right. or to, to retain it. So good on you. Thank you. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, you let me know if you get a call and you can't do the engagement because we can bring the currency of confidence to Asia. We can bring it anywhere you want. (laughs) There you go. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for your time and for the advice you gave me. Um, I will link to all of your stuff. And if people have questions or want to contact you for coaching, they can do that as well, I assume. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. Well, you guys heard it here first. We learned so much in this podcast um, with Jim. And so please take these nuggets of wisdom to heart. And I'll also link to NSA. So for new speakers who want to join the National Speakers Association, you all definitely can do that. They have an abundance of training as well and resources. And Toastmasters too. I've done Toastmasters before. So it's really good for your technique, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want experience in the speaking part, Toastmasters is ideal and it's inexpensive. If you want to expand your career as a speaker, NSA is the only only path for you because it's so many different types of speakers from all over the world. There's no place else with as much consolidated wisdom on what works in our industry than there. Definitely. Well, I will link to both of those, you guys, because I think both organizations have a lot to offer and they they do have different things to offer. So keeping that in mind as well. And then both of their websites are extremely robust, so you can look them up. And we'll be having on um, another speaker on the podcast a little bit later who's heavy, as heavy as you are into Toastmasters, she is into, or as heavy as you are into NSA, is into Toastmasters and has won all of their awards and done all of that stuff. So you all will hear both perspectives and be able to deduce the differences. But thanks again for listening to Speak Your Way to Cash. Um, You all know you can find me on the Facebook group or also at ashleynicolekirkwood.com. And I will talk to you all later. 